name is Tom Chick. We're listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is, about the games that matter to them. Today, I am here with uh, someone who I believe is like one of our kind of new, more newishy members. Uh, Jorun, how long have you been on the forum? Um, I think maybe a year, but I've actually only been active probably the last six months. So you 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 have like one of those maybe 200 post count kind of things. Uh, yeah, you probably nailed it. I think it's about 200. Do you ever get picked on for having a low post count and therefore not being worth listening to? <laughs> no, no. I'm very, very careful with what I say, and I make sure that I, I make uh, constructive posts. I, I just hate that, by the way. If, if it was up to me, if I could figure it out how to do it, I would turn off everybody's post count. I, I just hate that that ever comes up. Uh, so you uh, obviously are a video gamer, but before we get to that stuff, what do you do in real life? Uh, real life, I do uh, video editing for a television news show. Interesting. That opens up all kinds of uh, questions I want to know about. Uh, but you, you probably shouldn't say the actual show. So let's no. give it let's give it a fictional name then. Let's call it uh, Joe Rune News. There you go. Okay. And so you do video editing. Is this like where segments come in and, and you have to sort of make them presentable and get them ready to be on the air, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. You know, we'll have our producer come in with his script, reporter goes in the booth, they track it, I'll lay it out in an uh, editing timeline, production assistant comes in with video, and then me and the producer kind of brain work, okay, what do we think is the best shot to cover what we're saying? Now, in terms of the proportion of raw footage to the final product, how much raw footage do you go through to get how much of a final product usually? Um, you know, on average, we do about a minute and a half to two minute pieces. The raw footage could be, as, you know, as 10 minutes. If you've got mm-hmm. someone's interview, it could be as much as 20, 30. And can we say what kind of news or should we avoid that? Uh, just kind of news magazine So it goes right. uh, all over. We can do some hard hitting stuff, um, you know, with Wall Street, with what's going on. And we can do something about Britney Spears. <laughs> and this is a, a daily show, if I'm not mistaken, yes? Yes. So you, uh, I, I am imagining you must be, are you busy every day? Is that as frantic as it sounds? Or oh, I guess... oh, yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, it's one of those things, you come in the morning, and there really isn't much to do. And I usually bring in my laptop. I like to do a little gaming, uh, you know, in, in the downtime. Mm-hmm. And I just want to bring up, that's one of the issues where I, when I'm on the forum, and I do not like certain DRMs that need you to be online. This is exactly, and some people can't figure that out. They're like, well, aren't you always on the internet? No, I don't think the job would appreciate me using their internet for that. So <laughs> I, do, I do a lot of gaming offline, and, and I need that. Um, but half the day, we don't really do anything. But the other half, as I always say, I, I work four hours in my day, but I do what other people do in eight hours. I do it in that four. It's, uh, you know, very hectic. Things are happening last minute. Things are changing last minute. And you've got a deadline. And how long have you been doing this kind of work? Um, since 90, 1998. What were you doing before then? I was working at a deli for about 12 years making sandwiches. So you said you're from New York. I think I, I like you. You sound like you're from New York, right? Like, aren't you what people from yeah. New York kind of sound like? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Long Island. I'm from Long Island, so I've got that Long Islandy accent. Is that is that where the deli was that you worked? Yes. Oh, that's awesome, Joe Rune. So I uh, 
Now, were you a kid when you did the deli job? Uh, in, uh, I was in uh, high school. And and was it insufferable, or did you kind of like working at the deli? Oh, I loved it. Where was because you, you you had the same people coming in, so you built uh, relationships, conversations, things like that. And you know, certain to a certain degree, I did enjoy um, you know making good sandwiches for people and whatnot. Sometimes it'd be a little annoying. You're walking around the mall with your girlfriend, and everyone's like, "Hey, it's the deli boy. Go make me a sandwich." <laughs> That's got to be the the instant go-to insult if somebody wanted to get under your skin, deli boy. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Uh, What is it like, and I ask this as a fellow who grew up in mainly in Arkansas, what is it like growing up on Long Island? It's it's a little different, especially as someone who was growing up in there. It's a little bubble, um, very wasp-like. And then having started commuting into the city when I got the job, it's, you know, New York City's a completely different world than what the island is. You know, the island very kind of closed off, whereas the city, it's very open. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, racial mixing going on, and it really opens up your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is the the job that you do now is it actually in New York City like you're actually in yes. this okay yes for New York City so where do you, where do you live then do you like live in New York City no i commute i i i was living in New York City from uh 2000 on and in November bought a home out in the suburbs so i moved back out now commute in Los Angeles means you spend an hour and a half in your car uh are you commuting on, like, trains and subways? And yes, yes. Like and I, I go on the train, open up my laptop, play a little out-of-the-park baseball, and then uh, that's my commute. Out-of-the-park baseball? It's one of those sports things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to say anything intelligent about that. Uh, uh, so you also, though, you are, if I'm not mistaken, you're pretty much an inveterate, like, like PC strategy gamer dude. Like, if I was to, like, look up... Uh, your posts. You're a guy talking about like RTSs and turn-based strategy games and and out of the yeah park. yeah. I mean, luckily things like Steam has opened up me up because you know they had those sales on and there's like Sam and Max bundle. I think it was like fifteen dollars for two seasons. I said, what the hell? And I actually found myself enjoying them. But yeah, my my one of the first games I got was. Uh, Warcraft 2, and then Master of Orion 2, and, and that was it. I mean, I played Civ on the Super Nintendo when they came out with that. But, uh, and Romance of the Three Kingdoms, I used to love the Koei games on the old consoles. So I'm curious, how, as a kid, do you come to strategy games like that? Like how, what, what is it about you being a kid that made you get into that kind of stuff? Uh, you know, it could have been doing something like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and okay. while other RPGs are more of the R O L E role playing, D and D really is the R O L L, you know, minimizing, maximizing your stats and things like that. And you think kind of more on strategic lines. Um, so when you get something like a fantasy game that comes around, it really uh, kind of sucked me in. Um, a lot of the con, uh, console games back in the SNS days was like uh, a lot of these platformers and whatnot. And then when I stumbled into the Koei games, and I think it was Genghis Khan 2 that really did it, I was like, this is what I like. You know, a god complex, I guess you could say. <laughs> Very well put. Because that's certainly, I remember 
the, the difference between me and uh, some of my other Dungeons & Dragons friends when I was like in junior high and even high school some, was I really enjoyed the little tactical battle aspect of it. It's creating a cool set piece, and all the characters had very different rules for how they moved through the environment and uh, the interplay of uh, different abilities and, and stuff. And some other players looked at Dungeons & Dragons as a more... Uh, loose storytelling kind of thing. Like, okay, I'm going to just make up, I'm going to improvise a story about what you say in the tavern. And Dungeons and Dragons is a little of both, but it, like you, it sounds like, I always enjoyed the sort of tactical rule-based element of it. Uh, well, that's the funny thing. I actually didn't enjoy it too much. But when you're with players that are doing it, you've got to do it to keep up. <laughs> and actually, I became a game master, and I started focusing more on on stories and of course it led me to other rpgs that i felt were more um role role playing friendly right do you, do you still play rpgs like computer rpgs yeah, yeah I, was, I was playing dragon age tonight oh yeah okay you're you're hardcore that that's rpg cred all right uh now uh you i i have this image of you in a very busy newsroom uh, although even before it gets really busy, and you're sitting there with your laptop propped open, and you're playing, uh, like I, I think you've talked recently about, um, what are some of the games that you've played, like Demigod or, or the StarCraft II beta or whatnot. Although, actually, you're not playing that if you're not online. Because they're online, yes. Yeah. So like today, I was playing uh, Dragon Age before we walked in. So what happens, like, are there people at work who see Joe Rune sitting there with his laptop playing a, a dorky video game. You know what? Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. You know, I'm in an edit room, so you've really got to pass. Uh -huh. You've only got this little door to see through. But <laughs> while people see that, they understand that there's not much going on. They'll pass another room. There's, there's you know, some editors are get their feet up reading newspapers. Other ones are watching The Price is Right and whatnot. So, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing to relax because it, it is very stressful. Right. The interesting about the the interesting thing about the job that I found was that I remember watching some of these reality TV shows about the ER, and they would ask these ER doctors, "Why are you doing this? You could, you know, have a more relaxing job that pays better doing other work." And they said what they really liked about it was that they didn't know what was coming to come through that door, and mm. it was that excitement. And that's kind of what my job is. I don't know what's going to come through the door. I know I'm editing, but I don't know what kind of story nor how hectic it'll be. Right, right. Uh, do you get out at a reasonable hour? Is this like a late night, like you're there late? Uh... Yeah. Luckily for me, with with the type of job, yes, it's it's a uh, reasonable hours. Mm -hmm. And when uh, when you're not working, uh, you have a family. Yes. Because I, I believe you, you put some kids to bed before we recorded. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, I've got um, uh, you know I've got a son from a previous marriage who lives with his mom, who I see every weekend. Uh, I've got a daughter who's going to turn three, and my wife is pregnant, so I we'll have another one coming August. Oh, awesome! Uh, my birthday, by the way, August fourteenth. So maybe your latest kid and me will share a birthday. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Do you know, uh, have you spoilerized whether it's a boy or girl? It's a girl. Two girls I'll have. Congratulations. Oh, that is awesome, Joe Rune. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. So These are great because my, my son, who's about to turn 13, you know, I get him into the board games, so we play board games left and right. And how is that? Are, is that taken pretty well? He's actually digging board games? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we were playing uh, games like Alhambra. Recently, I've gotten him into Memoir 44, which is kind of like a, an easy, simplified World War II game. But no, I know Memoir. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's, it's good for someone like him to learn about these battles and learn about this history that's behind it. Can you see that taking it all? Like when you guys set up a scenario and he's... Like, the, can yeah, you see a curiosity? He, yeah, he's losing. He wants to know why. But <laughs> him that there's certain strategy and tactics he's not really employing, and then he sees that. And he <laughs> That's lovely. Uh, by the way, so uh, Memoir 44, I cannot personally go back and play because they did a fantasy-based one. The name of it eludes me right now. Battle lore. Exactly, yes, thank you. Battle lore adds a lot more tactical nuance, and there's a cool kind of magic system that's tacked onto the side. Uh, so Memoir 44 always feels a little skeletal and anemic once I've seen that same kind of system in, in battle lore. Uh, have there been any board games that you try with him, and he's just like, ah, oh, Dad, this is stupid, I'm not going to play this. Like, have any of them just not taken? Uh, you know what? There is one, and I, I, he, I forgot what it is, but I was a little disappointed that he, he didn't like it, because I really did. That must be, yeah, that kind of like when your own son doesn't appreciate this cool game that you like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those I have to wait till he gets a little older, I think. Uh, now, you said you picked up Sam and Max, and you had not, you had not played those before? Were you new to Sam and Max? Yes. Had you played uh, those kind of adventure games before, where it's very character-driven and puzzles? No, I mean, I had played the, the myth, more serious type of games, not the funny tongue-in-cheek games. <laughs> and I would say to anyone who tries them out like me, when you play that first episode, you're like, okay, why do people like this? It's really not that funny. But you learn that the humor with Sam and Max is a lot of the inside jokes. Because every time, when, when I went to episode two, they started throwing back to things that happened in one ah. and so on and so forth and it, and it actually got funnier and funnier because some certain characters kept coming back doing more zanier things and by the third episode i was laughing now actually so i have a question joe room because i haven't kept up with it aren't there like, like many aren't there like 10 episodes or something like hasn't sam and max been galloping a pace for a while now yeah they were you know one of the more successful episode of content where they would come out with one episode a month. I forget, but I think season one was six or seven, maybe seven episodes. Season two is five, and they just released... Uh, season three is either episode one is getting is going to get released soon. So you just went all the way back to episode one, season one, and started at the beginning. Right. Right. Uh, you're two episodes in? No, no, I think I'm up to episode five now. Good. Uh, all right, so I want to talk to you, because I don't get a lot of opportunity about this, about some strategy gaming stuff. Uh, right. Let's totally geek out on some of this. Uh, what, sell me, you, you've played Mountain Blade, right? Like, are, are you a Mountain Blade aficionado? No, 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 no. I, I've played it, and it's one of those in acquired taste. Yeah, it really is. I, I've tried to boot it up, and it reminds me of some games that I like, but... I just kept getting beaten up and captured by a bandit, and I couldn't, uh, you know, and then time would pass until I escaped, and then I didn't have anything, and I couldn't figure out how to do trade, and, uh, yeah, that's I was hoping you could talk me through some of that. What, what was your experience with Mountain Blade like? Well, it was, you know, going to kingdoms, doing these little quests, going to the next kingdom, doing little quests, <clears throat> and then I went online and said, what am I supposed to be doing here? They basically said, stick in a kingdom, do quests, get as friendly as you can with these people, and then, you know, almost become 
uh, a knight of who, whatever duke there is. Now, how did you how did you do quests for a kingdom? I didn't even figure that part out. The problem is I didn't read the manual and I was playing a press build. I probably was going about it the wrong way. But how, how did you get quests? I, I went to a castle and couldn't figure out what to do. Yeah, you go to the castle and if the guy's there, you know, you'll talk with him. He'll give you a quest. Sometimes there's, there's nobody home type of mentality. What kind of you quest? Can actually, you can actually mouse over a castle and see is the is the guy there or is he out on the road and whatnot. A uh, quest would be go here and bring back this for me. So this guy in the kingdom owes me money. Get it? Did you ever get uh, get dudes following you? Little dudes helping you, or were you always alone? No, I got dudes. Every time you go to a town, you say who wants to come, and a couple people join up. Yeah, nobody joined me. So, and then when you That's get right. jumped by a couple of other dudes, you've got people covering your back. Well, that, that okay. Yeah. So you said it was an acquired taste. It's it's not working for you so well. Oh, no, no, it might, because the other thing was now I would go into combat and everyone was all over the place. It's not well documented, is what they said. And they basically said in combat you can actually control your units. So I have to learn how to do that. Like giving them orders and whatnot. Have the archers go do their stuff, have my frontline infantry wait for me and things like that, yeah. Uh, now, you, like me, are also, I believe, a demigod apologist, yeah? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I don't think there's an, an apology needs to be made. <laughs> uh, I actually have been playing a fair bit of demigod lately. Uh, I have a, a weekly land party thing, and the last couple of weeks we've rolled out demigod and just playing three versus three matches with, with friends of mine. And some of them aren't very good, but we balance the teams out. That, that game is just, I still marvel at what a fantastic game that is. My, my friend was pissed that I'm here talking about another game and not Demigod, because oh, all he plays. Would you normally be playing Demigod with a buddy? Oh, because he thinks you should be selling Demigod, talking about that? Well, no, it's, it's just that he's one of these that he plays only one video game at a time. He's been playing Demigod since the summer. It's the only game he plays. He probably averages three games a day, so... You know what, Joe Rune? Do you understand people like that? Because I just don't get that. I have so my tastes are so varied, and I have such a weird attention span. Uh, I I don't understand someone who can just play one game. Does that seem weird to you? It's to a certain degree it does, but everyone's got a different style. With him, he's got you know two kids, two young kids, and whatnot. He doesn't have a lot of time. He'll get maybe an hour, maybe two. A day to play a game, so he likes to go in for a twenty thirty minute match. It's over. He's done. Right, right. He he got sins of a solar empire, even though he told him don't get it because right. it's not for him. And he said, sure enough, he played for one hour. That was it. Because those you know, those sins matches go on for a long time. That's not an in and out yes. in thirty minutes game. That's exactly right. When I talked about civilization, he said, well. No, I, I played that game till I got nuked, snooped everyone, and I was done. <laughs> now, can you play Demigod against him, or is he too good? No, we, we, we pl usually we'll play together on a team, but no, we can play against. And um, I think he's a little impatient. I mean, on average, I think he's the better player. He knows the game better than I do. But uh, he, 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 he rushes into combat sometimes. You, I think you, you probably have a better grasp on just gaming in general, where he probably knows more of the details of the demigods or, or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah, when he gets into something, he gets almost OCD about it. <laughs> uh, that's, that, by the way, it, rushing into combat and demigod, that, that's a problem. When we have unbalanced teams and you see the guys who aren't very good, 
you know, every time they die, they're not just dying, but they're helping the other team by giving them all that experience and, and gold. Uh, yep. that, that can be fatal to have like a reckless dude on, on your team or a dude who's like got a really bad build and therefore keeps dying. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, once once you you allow an opponent to get three levels ahead of you, yes. the only thing you can do at that point is try to get creeps out as quick as possible because you, you'll never beat them. Right, right. Yeah. And, and some people have actually slammed the game for that because they do feel like it's got a steamroller effect. But again, matches usually don't last any more than thirty minutes. So. And I actually have seen some turnarounds. I mean, I'm not super good, and the people I play with aren't super good. So I, I think there have been instances where somebody gets a, uh, an advantage going, and they can't quite push it hard enough, or they or they push it too hard, and the, the assault well, normally, up. Uh, normally what happens, again, is that a team who's starting to uh, out-level you, they get greedy, and they start buying yes. a lot of equipment so they can really destroy you. Meanwhile, on the other team, when you realize you don't have a choice, everyone sells everything they've got. And again, you buy creeps, you buy the armor and upgraded damage for those creeps. And, you know, creeps can do a lot in this game. Yeah. They can really turn the time. Whenever I've come back, it's simply because we've got giants out before the other team. Oh, those giants. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because I hate, I love when they're on my side. I hate when the other guy gets them. And that's another thing, too, that I love about Demigod is that clear demarcation of, you know, when the catapult dinosaurs come out and then when the giants come out. And you can even see there's sort of a gentle buildup as, you know, first it's the clerics, then it's the ghosts. Uh, and then it's like, oh, God, when is he going to bring the catapult to Sari? I love the way that the gameplay is sort of gated by the arrival of these creatures. Uh, and it gives them so much sort of personality and significance. Yeah, I mean, when they, when the priests come out, you just think, all right, great, that's a little more XP for right? me. The <laughs> next one is the angels. They kind of fly around, and your character chases them, so they're more like a, a buzzing fly nuisance. Right, right. But when the cats come out, you're right. That's when everyone starts going, uh-oh. You know, if they got cast before we do, we got a problem here. It, it sort of reminds me, Joe Rune, of like when you're playing Civ, uh, or I'm thinking actually Rise of Nations is probably a better analogy, and somebody gets gunpowder, uh, and then the next one is somebody gets airplanes. Like I, I love where these these game dynamics, where the balance shifts dramatically as you're as you're going. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's your favorite? Am I got? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, it's a good way to move a game along to the point where it's like if if all the demigods did was bash each other and get better armor, it's going to be a long game. Right. You bring out those creeps because they they will end the game quick. Get your giants out, capture the enemy's flags, and it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Who is your favorite demigod? Do you have one you normally play, or do you jump around? Uh, Now, Lord Erebus, the vamp. Oh, you're one of those. Uh, we have a good friend, actually. So a buddy of mine who actually lives out there in New York right now, he basically, and we pronounced it Erebus. I don't know if that's right. E- Erebus. No, let e- me tell you something. I will butcher names. Like that. <laughs> Erebus makes him sound almost, I, I don't know, like uh, French or something. <laughs> Erebus makes him sound more sort of Latin and dark and mysterious. I, I don't know the correct pronunciation. Uh, but my friend who lives in New York, his name is uh, is Brett. We call him Cornbread. So Cornbread, if you're listening, you're a jerk for all the times mm-hmm. you played Erebus. So what is your strategy with Lord Erebus or Erebus? Um, like, are you a mist guy, or do you like the vampire bite? Do you, do you get much mileage out of the uh, the teleport? Stun. I, yeah, I'm a big stun guy. 
Uh, stunning, you're a jerk. Stunning Joe Rune in Demigod is such, uh, it is the best way to annoy the other players. Stunning is brutal in Demigod, isn't it? It's a great psychological effect. I mean, even when you max out stun, it, 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 you know, you look at stun, it's 1.5 seconds you stun the demigod. It's like, that's not long. <laughs> You're in that game, 1.5 seems like a very long time. And it's got a psychological effect of making people decide, I'm going to run away because I don't want to get stunned. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it was interesting because it was Brad Wardell who I had the opportunity to play games with him because he used to go on there and just host, and he was doing it left and right. And, and I was like, why is he doing that? You know, who cares about stuff? <laughs> and, you know, then I started trying it out, and I was like, oh, this works. So my big thing is to do that, and I like to bat swarm into the opposing base, capture a flag, and bat swarm out. Oh, yeah. You know what? I think of the bat swarm as the way to get on the other side of a fleeing demigod. But you're right. It's a great way to just get past those tower defenses to a flag. Yes. Right. Yes, because basically if, if the enemy's at your gates, the best way to get them off is you capture one of their creep portals and they will hightail it back. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just talking about this, when, when Gas Powered Games announced their, is it called Kingdoms and Castles? Or they have some Kingdom really... Castles, I think. Yeah, yeah, it just sounds terribly generic and they're not saying a lot of specifics about it. And so my temptation is to, to, to just think, yeah, whatever, some medieval RTS. But every time I play uh, Demigod, I'm like, God, I can't wait till these guys do their next thing. Uh, so, yeah. yeah that's I, the thing that, that really sucks is that, that Demigod is such a great game. And, and when you hear people complain about it, it's really the technical issue. Yeah. Yet it happened in such a small time frame. It still gets beat up. I think it's the best game Gas Power has come out with. And, you know, I tried Supreme Commander, and it just didn't gel for me. And it almost seems like the games that they make that I don't like are the ones that they do. And here's the one that I really love, and I don't think we're going to see it, too. Yeah, you might be right about that. Uh, but I'm hoping, you know, in a way, Jorun, I don't much care about, like, whether or not they continue a franchise. To me, it's more like, what are the guys who made this and I wish I'd paid closer attention to who the lead designer is on this because I've, I've talked to him before. And, but but I'm more concerned with what is that guy going to do next, whether or not it has a it, the name Demigod on it or not is almost immaterial to me. It's the, the, the team that came up with this. I want to see what they're going to come up with next. Yeah, but what worries me, though, is that you could say the same thing about Brian Reynolds after a great game like Rise of Legends, mm -hmm. which because of the fact that it tanked, they just figure, okay, nobody wants this kind of game. What should we do next? Ah, how about Settlers of Catan for the Xbox? Right, right. And now he's doing, I think he's at Zenga, and we'll get some sort of casual space thing from him. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you won't uh, see that genius for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that is, you know what? I do miss that. <laughs> Normally yeah. there was always some Brian Reynolds thing on the horizon you could look forward to, and we don't really have that anymore. That's no, and I, I don't want to bash them, but Civ Five is coming out this fall, and all I can say is why. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I feel that way a bit about, I, I just booted up today Master of Orion 2, and was just pushing pieces around, and uh, I think it's Steve Barcia and Ken Bird. I probably think I've screwed that up, but the, the two guys that made that, you know, they're not doing these kind of games anymore. Uh, and that's another thing. You know, we lost them. We lost them to the marketplace, and they went to other kinds of games. Uh, yeah, and then we get Moot 3. Oh, God. Oh. Now, have you seen Distant Worlds? I forget if you're in that thread or not. 
No, no, and I just downloaded the Clash of Steel podcast, so I will be uh, listening in on it. Because that, Jorun, is the real move three, I think. Uh, what they were trying to do in move three, there was a time where I would have thought, this is a mess, you can't make that kind of game work, you're doomed to fail, because, of course, move three was a huge failure. But I look at Distant Worlds, and I'm like, wow, you guys really pulled off what they were trying to do in, in move three, for, for the most oh, that- then I'm very intrigued. I mean, yeah. Moo Two is still one of the top uh, top five games of all time for me. So have you have you looked at Moo Two lately? Like, did you did you get it on good old games today? Or you probably still have a copy? I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I've got my disc copy, but you always wonder if, why not get a digital copy. So it might happen soon. But. Right, right. It, it was just such such a pleasant revelation to boot it up today, and and just, you know even the nostalgia from the music was just so nice. Uh, and just pushing the pieces around and thinking, oh, yeah, this is how this works. And, oh, here's another thing, Joe Rune. Uh, you had this great system where you could make up a deficit of food on one planet by building freighters, and a surplus on food on another planet would be shipped to them. So you had this great concept of these barren planets where they didn't have anything to eat, but it's okay, your farm planets, we're going to keep them fed. I, I just love mechanics like that. I don't know a lot of games that, that capture that idea. Uh, so, yeah. but, but that's why there's a lot of things they did great with that. I, I think they've got one of the best ways of using the technology tree out of all these other games. A lot of the other games, all the technology is there, and you can get it all. And, you know, one of my complaints with Civ 4, though, is just that. It's almost like I researched this technology, then this one, and there's no set one to get. Whereas in Moo, they would give you, say, bioengineering, and there's five to choose from, but you can only research one of them. Yes. And once you research one of them, the others go away, and it's like tier two comes out. So you're really forced to do uh, tech brokering. And, or use spies or whatnot. Yeah, it forces yes. you to turn to other systems besides research to get your tech. I love that. Yes, but it's a real, you really have to think, what do I want to research? It becomes very important. And that's a mechanic. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, because I think like one of them you would get at once was, do you want to uh, research biofarming so you get a plus, you know, extra food, or hydrospheres so you can have more population on a planet? You can only choose one, and once you do, the other one goes away. Yes. I, a, a huge thing that I love in game design that I wish more games would do is forcing players to make mutually exclusive choices. You know, you get one or the other. Uh, you see little things like that, like in StarCraft II, for instance, uh, there are certain Terran units that you can upgrade to do one thing or the other. Uh, and it's not a dead-end choice because you could just build another of those units or the, those buildings. But the, the one that makes me think of Jorun is Age of Mythology with the god choices. I love that you would hit those age-up points and you would have to choose, do you want this god or this god? And each one of them would have a different basket of goodies you could get. And you are never going to get the, ba- the basket that you didn't choose. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's awesome to see that in Mutu. Uh yeah. So, are you playing StarCraft Two? Uh, yeah, I just got in the beta, I booted it up, and I was really shocked how retro it was. I know, I know. Yep. And and, and I I think I'm going to have to try to warm up to it because I wasn't happy with how retro it was. It might take a few games, but uh, it really is. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a splash of cold water in the face. It's like, oh, this is what you guys did. <laughs> yeah. I uh, really became in the big in the company of heroes with everything that they did with that. And mm-hmm. It's yeah. tough to kind of go back. To me, that was the, one of the last great RTSs to come out. 
Did you like what Relic did with Dawn of War? And, and that was a big in the Dawn of War 1, and with 2, it, I'm, I'm still trying to like it. And, right. and I think the cover system is, is half-heartedly done. And how can you have a cover system when these guys are, you know, have, have you know, nukes for a gun? <laughs> think of it, Jeroen, as a sci-fi skin for Company of Heroes, and it might go down a little easier. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's let's transition to. I I am so glad someone wants to talk about this game because, boy, if, if there's one game that I think I would prefer to move to but would also acknowledge is not as good a game as Mutu, uh, it would be the one that you want to talk about today. So tell us what you picked, and more importantly, why on earth you want to talk about this. Well, um, and I, and I got to hand it, I did a little research in the game today, and I found something, a, a fact someone wrote. <laughs> so, so you tricked me. I thought I was going to be introducing you to a game or just kind of reminiscing about him. I didn't know you knew it that well. Uh, Emperor of the Fading Suns, which was done by Holistic Designs and published by Segasoft. I picked the game simply because a lot of the problems with the 4X genre is, is there is no campaign. That's fine. You're supposed to make your own campaign. But that doesn't mean that the worlds have to be very dry. Yes. And what I felt Mu Tu did and Emperor of the Fading Suns did very well is there was a very um the game itself was full of character. Emperor of the Fading Suns had a lot of background to it. Mu Tu kind of didn't, but the character personalities of the other races were so distinct that it, it just it lended to the game. You could almost buy into this universe as existing and um you know take it more seriously than say galsiv mm -hmm. now first of all i have to say i did write a fact way back when and as far as i know it's the only one so you could say i wrote the emperor of the fading suns back uh yeah. but a lot of that stuff jerun it's so long ago i don't know how old how old is emperor of the fading suns um you, Ten know, years? I, you wrote you wrote this fact in 97 Holy cats, yeah. So it's, wow. So the game has got to be, you know, 13. It's over, it's over 10 years. I think it was 96 that came out with it. Wow, okay. So um, so a lot of that stuff, I'm not going to remember a lot of specifics. So you actually are going to have to do a fair bit of heavy lifting uh, in that I there are a lot of things. I remember what I like about EFS, but there are some things that I found myself wondering, did it do this or am I remembering this correctly? So I'm no longer an authority on it. Uh, so let me ask you, when was the last time you tried to play it or played it? I've, I've tried it in the last couple of weeks. I was starting to play it. And the reason I, I wanted to say tried, and I'll be curious if you agree with me, uh, is that I think it, it's, a, it's an incredible design, and I want to talk a bit about the design in a minute. But one of the reasons, I, I think it falls apart. Like, I don't think it works. It's like an unfinished, broken game, and the AI can't deal with it, and it breaks my heart when I start playing it and discover this universe that you alluded to, but then as the game goes on, the whole thing falls apart. Is that your experience, or do you, do you feel like it works for you? I think for me, it, it worked. I don't know how long you stuck with it. <clears throat> there was a, they, uh, they released a 1.4 patch, and it actually did address some of the AI issues to make the AI more aggressive. Um, I mean, it was one of the earlier forex games so maybe i didn't min max it i mean i think that's the thing from i understand the way you like to play games you kind of really like to min max systems 
And certain games like this, when you almost have to go in with that role-playing idea. Ah, very well put. Yes, yes. Well, describe. Uh, just, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like one of the things is that the there are traits that you can pick for your knowable, and there's positive traits and negative traits. And a lot of the people would say the best thing to do is don't pick any traits, because they would give you an unfair advantage over the AI. Mm-hmm. So it's little things like that. You kind of have to game yourself with it. Now, describe for us the uh, this universe, and and I'm also curious. Do you know much about where it came from? For instance, is it a was it a pen and paper RPG? Yeah. So, um, Fading Suns was the RPG universe Holistic had. So, in that respect, <coughs> they did have a, a leg up over some of these other forex games. And the fact that with an RPG, all you're doing is creating a fictitious world. So, they had a ton of source material that they could. Uh, mine for the game and I've never played the RPG and I've never picked it up so I can't say for sure but it seems like they brought a lot of it into this 4X game which I think is pretty impressive and again the same company that actually made the RPG they also designed this game so you can really see that they put a lot of heart into it now, do you know the status of the Fading Suns license these days? Is there still a pen and paper RPG that's going on? Did it just sort of implode after Emperor? I know they they were tinkering with doing a sort of an open world space trading game that never took off. Something, yeah, I think Noble Armada is what they were working on next for that universe. It never landed, <coughs> and um, I'm not sure. Like I said, I never really got into the RPG. And for Warhammer fans too, these are the same guys that did the, uh, the the Warhammer 40k Final Liberation, which was the big Titan mech game. Holistic did that. Yeah. Ah, I did not know that. Uh, I think I think they also did Machiavelli. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, definitely Merchant Prince Machiavelli. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, and and the 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 universe is very sort of medieval Europe in that it's got a church and there are barbarians at the gates, kind of and. Uh, there's. I loved how certain technologies the church could proscribe, uh, what right. that what that could do to the the tech tree, uh, and this idea of uh, it, there's a, a diplomatic game and there's even a sort of Vatican City planet uh, where you can't fight uh, there. Um, so so yeah, very reminiscent of that world, like in Machiavelli, but in space. Uh, and I love the theme of that. Uh, did you ever play it multiplayer? Yeah, a couple times, but again, it's, it was like, um, you know, when the game starts, you've got five noble houses to choose from, mm-hmm. and I would say four of us were kind of role-playing this, this universe while the other player was a min-max. So. <laughs> <laughs> he basically got himself voted into the Imperial fleet, used the fleet, and wiped everyone out very quickly. Uh- well, that's that's another reason that I talk about like trying to play it. Is it, it seems like if you've got someone who's just playing to win, they can easily break the game. It's a very brittly built game. Uh, it just doesn't stand up to that that kind of approach, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. And and uh, so, talk a bit about were there any of the specific game mechanics that really stood out for you? Because at its heart, it was kind of a four X strategy game. You, you conquer and colonize planets, and you use resources to build ships. Uh, uh, or in the context of being a 4X game, what mechanics stood out for you? You know, like one of the things like you brought up with the multiplayer, though, it is one of the very few 4X games that had a multiplayer component. 
Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you could definitely house rule it. It was PBEM or Hatsi, which I thought was, was uh, <coughs> very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the game itself, it's almost like, you know, I would tell people you could put this on your laptop today and still play it. Um, and I think it would have run very well on netbooks, people looking for those games. And, and just looking at the artistic design of it, I, you know, I know you have the gameplay. The artistic design, though, is it's almost like they took a board game concept to it. And a lot of your units are made out of uh, little chits and whatnot. So I think because of that, aesthetically, it still stands the test of time. Um, the gameplay-wise, what I really liked, again, are these units. It was... It was a game where each world has its own uh, map, and it's, it is hex-based. And almost the point of your ships was simply to get airspace over a planet, get transports in, and get your troops onto the, uh, onto the battlefield. And there were so many different troops to choose from, <clears throat> and, and they all had their you know, very in-depth statistics, how well they could spot, how well they could hide, what type of movement that they were. And um, I think I really I enjoyed that aspect of it and the aspect of how you, you know, you'd build a farm to get food and you would use the different raw materials to build other uh, materials that you would need. Oh, that's right. It had like a, a resource, like, it, like almost like a city builder. With those resource chains, didn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. really, uh, you know, if, if you like building little cities, I mean, it had that aspect. Um, you know, for instance, you would take, some, like, like, like uh, um, you know, you need electronics. I think, like, metal and something else. <laughs> oh, right. Electronic factory gets you an electronic. Now, if you took electronics and biochem together, you had wetware, which was something you would use for cybernetic cyborgs. You know what, Joe Rune? That right there, I mean, that... That makes me think how how this would appeal to somebody who likes a city builder. That that whole idea of not just being a forex game about moving armies, but that whole idea of creating a, a resource flow, almost like in colonization or, or something. I, I'd forgotten about that aspect. And weren't there at the top of the chain? Wasn't there something like were they called singularities? Or there was I tell you were creating right. black holes. I think. Yeah, like you have monopoles and gems, I think, yeah. to create singularities, and singularities is what ships needed to, to jump drive. So, Very good. Wow, oh, that that brings me back. Uh, so, And I just want to say, I also, that's something that I feel is missing from a lot of other science fiction strategy games, whether they're turn-based or, or uh, RTSs, is that interplay of planet-side and space. Uh, and how each planet had its own little cool map that you had to fight over with, you know, continents and oceans. And I believe there were even navies. Like, weren't yeah. there? Yeah. You had submarines? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, destroyed had aircraft? So it's sort of like each planet was its own little game of Civ, in a way, in terms of that, that whole map down there. But then they were all, as you said, connected by space. And so it had this great sci-fi concept of air superiority where you had to control and I can even visualize the little boxes around a planet now you know you had to control those uh, to, to really support a planet or you could get these Guadalcanal type situations where you drop guys off and suddenly they're stuck there and and, uh, and, and, and there was even bombardment couldn't could yeah. spaceships and planetary guns so there was still some exchange your dreadnoughts, would, your dreadnoughts would come in they would bombard 
uh, and, and you'd drop your troops down, and they would be battling guys, and you'd use your, your dreadnoughts basically to kind of bombard the surface and, and the enemy stacks. But now what they did smart, though, was that every planet has a shield generator that protects that hex and every hex adjacent to it. And that's where the core of, like, this, the, the, the player's palace would be. So while you could bombard a planet, you couldn't bombard that area. So you were forced to land troops there to go into the shield and take over the rest of the city. Right, right. Wow, yes. Can you think of any other sci-fi strategy games that do that? Because it seems like... In most strategy games, they just quickly abstract ground combat. You know, you have little dudes fighting, and then it's over. Yeah, I mean, the only one that does that is, like, Civ. I mean, the ground combat is very similar to Civ, but obviously Civ is just the one planet. Right. Um, Yeah, this definitely got more involved with it. Uh, Like I said, I I don't know anyone that has done it. Now, how did uh, the interface hold up for you when you were trying it recently? I, I, I was actually amazed by it, that it gave so much information. It was one of those games when you look at it, it, it is very easy to pick up. And then the interface, you can, it really gets you to the information quickly. And you can open up these screens and see just how complex everything is. You know, how, how every unit, let's say, has like six different stats. Like, oh, I didn't even realize that. Oh, he's, you know, this is better at hiding, this unit. It's got a high camo stat. This one's spotting. So, um you know, it's very easy, I think. Yeah, good. Uh, do you do you remember the music? Like, does the music stand out for you? Because that's a CD that I still have, and it reminds me a bit of the soundtrack for the, the David Lynch Dune movie. Like, I think they're riffing on that a little bit, but better. Like, I, I still, the, the music in Emperor of the Fading Suns, I love that, and I can still play that. Yeah, it's on my MP3. Yes. It's definitely one of the top ones. <laughs> what was interesting is that the game disc itself, um, track one was the data, and the right. rest of them were actually in normal wave format. You could pop it into a CD player and just yep, skip track one, and, and you're good to go. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I confess, I recently, I say recently, in the last couple of years, uh, there's a an epic sci-fi board game called Twilight Imperium. It might even be Twilight, Twilight Imperium. Yeah. No, Twilight Imperium, uh, third edition. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, and I could think of no better opportunity to just put the Emperor of the Fading Suns disc on repeat than when we were playing that game. Uh, so uh, what um, – is it something that it, you say it worked for you fine, you put it in and just installed it, and you could boot it up in Windows? Did you, have, you didn't have any problems with it? It booted up okay? Yeah, uh, running Vista 32, and I had no issues. That's amazing to me that that stuff still works. I mean, I'm so glad to, to hear that that kind of thing. Uh, good. Uh, all right, and now, did you actually... So tell me a bit about how do you win a game of EFS? Do you remember this? Because there's, there's a voting thing, isn't there? Like, you have to control yeah. the planet. So every everyone... Every there's five houses, and each of them had five nobles, and that's one of the things you had to do was protect your nobles, because if all five nobles got wiped out, your house is wiped out. <laughs> so the first thing you're doing besides protecting your nobles is you're going after their nobles. Um, and then as far as the voting was concerned, now there were five Imperium positions. There was the acting oh, yes. regent. Uh, and, you, you know, someone could get voted in as acting regent. And if after 10 years, if they were still the regent, then they got crowned. So obviously when the next vote came, you would uh, vote for somebody else. 
They could be voted in for the Imperial Fleet, who basically now you get besides your fleet, now you're in control of the Imperial Fleet. You had the Imperial Eye, which is every every house's planet had this little fort on it, which is the Imperial Eye, to make sure you were you know doing what you were supposed to be doing. So if your house got voted into that position, you had basically a spy network on every uh, opposing player's planet. And then you had the um, Stigmata, which was their job was to fight the planet Stigmata, which was the barbarians at the gate, as you said. The symbiotes, who were like these mutant virus that would take over organic matter, they were the barbarians at the gate. Now, when when you play play by email, do you know if you can replay? Can you see what the other players have done during their turns? Do you know offhand? See, I don't. I don't think you could. All oh, right. Because that that could I think that could kill or at least make more awkward uh, play by email games. Uh, yeah, but but, you know, but don't quote me. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, do you know also were the planets randomized or was the map randomized or would there always be certain resources in certain places? Do you know that? Yeah, you had a choice. There was the historical map, which I guess is based on the RPG, and they had one where it was random, and you would do set that up in the uh, very beginning of the game. So how difficult or easy would it be for us to right now say, hey, we're going to start a quarter-to-three play-by-email game of Emperor of the Fading Suns? Like, you and I have copies. Would you be up for something like that? Yeah. I mean, as long as people were honest, too, because, I, you know, it wasn't like they made it hack-proof. It's one of those things people could play around with text files and, and, and whatnot. So, but... uh yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, easily possible. I think it's easy for people to get into. Again, you, like you brought up, you would do have to put up some house rules. So. Right. What kind of house oh, rules? Like, like for instance, your friend, I want to say your friend who took the Imperial Fleet and then just wiped everyone else out, why didn't you four, like, gang up against him? How did he get away with that? Well, he jumped in, the, especially in the very beginning, everyone's fleets are very weak. Mm. So he's on even footing with his weak feet. Then he got the Imperial Fleet, whose job was to actually kind of fight off this other little race called the the, the Vague or the Vow, I, I forget. And he basically took him out of there, and before anyone knew it, he shows up at your door. He wipes out one fleet. Okay, that's one player down. So basically there were only three players left, and it's almost like before you know what's happening, he's... That that's what it was. He he aced out one player. We went, uh oh. I think we have to work together. But everyone is so spread out, you couldn't do it. Now, uh, it, it, so is the idea that you would have a house rule that like the the leader of the Imperial Navy can't attack other uh, houses until a certain time, uh... or or you would just say that he can't do anything without their maybe the the regent's request uh, since he is supposed to be the head of the Imperium. Um, you know, I, I can understand the idea that if you're a house and you get access to something, you're going to abuse it. Right. You know, that could happen in a real forest. It could lend to the story that, that you're all uh, creating together. Well, I, but yeah. I, I, wanna, I mean, let's talk about this because I want to do this. I want, I want you and me and three other people in quarter to three to start. Uh, would, you, would you be up for that, a play-by-email game of EFS? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's, so, so, you, so you think we need to do something in terms of house rules – uh, something needs to be done to check the, the guy who's in charge of the Imperial Navy. So that would be like one thing. Are there other things that you feel need to be addressed in a play-by-email game? 
I think it was really just him, that and the, and the stigmatics. I think they started off with it. But, you know, that, that's about it. Okay. It's just more of the idea of just trying to role play more than min-max. Right. No, I understand. Yep. Uh, do you have... Now, are the houses distinct in terms of any gameplay mechanics, or do they just each pick and choose whatever traits they want and you build your own house? Yeah, they're not distinct. The um, If you go with the historical model, each of them has a, a different world uh, to begin with, and I don't know if the resources are different from, from one race, to, you know, one house to the next. Um, but what makes them different are the noble pluses and, and minuses that you get for them. Right. Uh, and... Do you know uh, then? Uh, uh, well, okay. Well, let's let's do this. So I'm I'm committed. I'm up. I'm signing up right now officially for uh, Emperor of the Fading Suns play by email. Do you want me to put your name on the list? I have room here for oh, four yeah. more Jorun. You can have one of these slots if you want it. Yeah, I would definitely take a slot. Okay, so it is now being announced. When you're listening to this, if you hear this, if you want in on this, post. And when we get five good people who are cool with whatever house rules we come up with and who can do a turn. Now, it's round robin, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that correct? It's not a, everybody submits their turn and executes. No, like, one guy like, goes, he passes to the next guy, and so on and so right. forth. As a matter of fact, yes, I remember now uh, trying to set up play-by-email games by people's schedules in the hopes that we could get one turn a day. It didn't always work. Uh, no. So, yeah. Uh, so good. So and, of course, the problem is that once one player starts losing, they, they really don't have that impetus to keep so that. Was, yeah, that was the other thing I wanted to ask about, is is there is a losing player, can't he then throw in his lot with someone else and help him? There's, there's oh, a reason. Yeah. So, so there's still, he could still have an effect on the game. Uh, he can have an effect, but the game is still set up that there's, there's no, it's not like it's a group victory. Right. You know, whoever, either A, you've got to wipe out the other houses, or B, you stay elected to the Regency. So, I mean, someone could say, okay, look, I'll vote for you. It had a great diplomacy model also. Right, right. All right, well, let's flex this. Let's let's see how it goes. So this is now officially announced. If you want on board, uh, post in the thread and, uh, and, and let us know. As a matter of fact, we'll set up our own thread. Screw the podcast thread. There's going to be an EFS play-by-email thread shortly after the, the podcast gets posted. Uh, awesome, good. Uh, so, Jorun, I don't know if you know this, but I am now about to ask you a really stupid question that has nothing to do with anything that we've talked about. Yes, I know that this part okay. comes up. This is a bad one, too. Like, this is a, this is a pretty lame one, uh, so I'm just going to apologize in advance. I have no idea what you're going to do with it, but, but we'll see. You ready? You're ready. How often are you barefoot? Um... Not often enough. <laughs> That's, by the way, Jorun, I cannot imagine a better answer. <laughs> uh, so I get you have to wear shoes at work, right? Uh, yes. When you come home from work, are you barefoot from then on, or when you come home from work, do you wear other shoes the rest of the night? I, I wear put, put on a pair of socks. Okay. And now because it's cold or because you don't like, like walking around your house barefoot? No, it was cold. Okay. As, you know, we just bought a house, so I've got a yard, so I'm sure I'll be barefoot a lot this summer. Uh, I go, and I don't mean this to make you feel bad, uh, but I can go days on time without ever putting shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> that California weather. Not just the California weather, Jorun, but uh, the working-at-home situation. 
I, I run a fair bit. I haven't been doing it much lately, but there are times where the literally the only time I'm wearing shoes, if I'm not going out at night or whatever, is when I go for a run in the day, and the rest of the day I'm just barefoot. So as a result, uh, I don't know if there's too much information, but I got these big old, they're almost like pads on the bottom of my feet. <laughs> You have uh, hobbit feet. I kind of have hobbit feet. I do exactly. Uh, I was recently it, I was recently swimming in the ocean, and I just jammed my foot like crazy on some coral, and I could feel it catch, and I could feel something rip, and I was like, oh god, I've just I've just gashed open the bottom of my foot, um, and you know, so I trundled out, of, I, I crawled out of the water. And it had just sort of cut through those, like, thick pads. Plenty of, like, flesh was sliced, but no blood was drawn. It was just those pads on the bottom of my feet. So, uh, all right, well, if you, uh, those of you listening, if you post in the really stupid How Often Are You Barefoot thread, uh, make sure that when you post, your post ends with the letter L. And I don't know how you're going to do that, but make sure you end with the letter L. You can put the period after the L if you want. That's okay. But if you end with the letter L, you go in the drawing for a free game. Now, Joe Rune, here's, an, here's a question for you. Are, do you not have a console system? You know, I, I, I have a PlayStation 2 that I really use as a DVD player at this point, and I've got the Wii for my son, but, yeah, I really don't do the consoles. And, and you know, with all due respect to everyone, it's just, you know, they don't have the strategy games, and even when I pick up Super Mario Galaxy, it's fun for a little while, but then I start feeling my brain go numb. <laughs> well, I'm not going to take you to task, but if if we had more time, I would try to change your mind maybe. But, but here's another thing, too. One reason I'm really glad I'm not into sports is it just means it's that much time I have not playing sports games. So... The fact that you're not into console games, and I'm convinced there are some that could bring you around, but the fact that you're not into them gives you that much more time to, to play the strategy games you love. So, I, you I, know, to be fair, I used to be a big strategy gamer, and I, I mean, a big console gamer, and I used to tell my friends the computer sucks <laughs> the console is where it's at. It's a whole different scene now, Joe Rune. I mean, it's nothing yes. like when you were younger. Uh, it's, Yeah. Like, I, I could recommend, and I even did a podcast for Troy, uh, the premise of which was you cannot be a strategy gamer and not have a console system that, that you play a lot. And, and I believe that. I, I think that to, to really see, like, what's being done with with strategy games, part of that involves uh, having some console system because there's, there's some great stuff on... on but like what? Uh, well, for instance, right now I am playing a uh, a strategy... It's a tactical RPG. It's all about, like, the, the combat stuff. It's sort of a party-based dungeon crawl RPG, and it feels like a strategy game because uh, called uh, uh, it's a Shin Megami Tensei. It's a series of Japanese RPGs, uh, and the subtitle for this one is Strange Journey. Uh, but the reason I play it is it taps into that sort of tactical strategy RPG side of my brain that used to be into D&D and that it's all party management and the stats of these different demons that you're collecting. Uh, it plays very much like a strategy game. And that, I think, is an example of w- what a lot of RPGs do and like what they draw from, from strategy gaming. There's another strategy game that, that just came out. Uh, the name of it, again, this is Japanese and it's crazy, and it's basically a, a dungeon ecology simulator. 
uh, and it's called, if I say the name right now, to you're, you're going to think I'm making it up, but the game is called Holy Invasion of Privacy, Bad Man, What Have I Done to Deserve This? That's the first one. Uh, and the second one, I think, is just called uh, Bad Man 2. They, get, they had to give it a shorter name. But what that is, it's this cool strategy game. It's almost like a little life simulator where you create a dungeon, and from that dungeon's ecology you are spawning different monsters, and then eventually some heroes come in, and they try to spelunk into your dungeon, and they try to break your ecology. Uh, and it's, it's kind of like a city builder meets dungeon keeper. Uh, and I think anybody who likes a good strategy game would would appreciate that kind of thing. So that right there, the Nintendo DS and the PSP, I think, have things that that strategy game was would really be into. Um, have they ever fixed the the problem with those type of games? Well, when you say the problem with those types of games, what is that? Uh, you know, like in between missions, those conversations that just seem to never end. You know what? They I'm not sure they fixed it, but that's not in Holy Invasion of Privacy. But <sighs> if, uh, Shin Megami Tensei, and I'm with you there, Jorun. I I I do not want to listen to some overblown Japanese anime story between my my uh, my battles. Uh, you just button press through it, so there's no the story sort of sits in the background for the most part. So I wouldn't say that fixes it, but I think it addresses it for guys like you and me who don't really care about that sort of thing. You know what's an old good console game? It was uh, Tecmo's Deception. Do you remember that game? Yes. That was, no, that was the haunted house builder thing, right? Yes, but yeah. you were the one haunting the house. Right. Yeah, no, I totally remember that. Yeah. And you know what? That right there, Joe Rune, that makes me think you would totally appreciate this, this dungeon ecology thing. That, that's right up there with that. Uh, and by the way, so you like RTSs, one of my favorite RTSs in the past, you know, three, four years, console only. Do you know what I'm going to, do you know what I'm going to bring up? Yeah. Brutal Legend. Uh, uh, and you talked about, you <laughs> talked about digging the Sam and Max game. Uh, that same sense of humor I thought came through so well in Brutal Legend, but Brutal Legend also has... One of my favorite RTSs uh, from the last several years. That's probably the only game on consoles now I'm interested in playing. Well, there, there you go. I, I then rest my case that in order to but, really be steeped in strategy games, you kind of miss out if you don't have a console system. So, uh, you, you must. No, no, I'm afraid it's uh, the PS3 and the 360 only. And I don't think EA published it, and they're not the type to do a PC port after the fact. So, one of these days, I am convinced, Jarun, you will break down, you will get a 360 or a PS3, and I can almost guarantee that you're the kind of guy who can go back and appreciate Brutal Legend, even if it's several years after it's come out. So Probably. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I've really appreciated talking to you. I look forward to hopefully uh, prevailing against your house in Emperor of the Fading Suns. Uh, yeah, I think we'll definitely get enough people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. We, we uh, yeah, I, I think with you and I in cheer, as cheerleaders, uh, we, we can definitely do it. Yeah. Oh, and it, it's a shame. I really hope that that these, you know, a lot of these other forex space genres, again, that's just what they're missing. Is that 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 personality and that character that came out in, in, in this game and in Mewtwo. And yeah, and in in the context of gameplay too, like not just the aesthetic and not just the music, but all of that is so involved in the gameplay systems. Is, yeah, yeah, good. All right, well, I'm looking forward to this. So uh, good. So Jarun, I will be seeing you online. Everyone else listening, post in how often are you barefoot for a free game. Uh, and Jarun, you're in that drawing too, so you might win. Uh, and next week we will have. Uh, 
Arthrin, Athrin, Arthrin, I don't know how to say her name, uh, but she will be on to talk about a little game called World of Warcraft. Are you familiar with that one, Jorun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> have, you, have you resisted its charms? Did you ever give in? I, no, I, I went online, I, I played it for a month, and I just said I don't get, really see what, what the point is of this game, and that was it. Good on you. Well done. So, All right, so uh, thanks for hanging out with me today, Jorun, and uh, right. see you in your round. Thanks for having me. All right, bye-bye now. Thank <laughs> you.